So uh, I thought it would be fitting to bring to you a, a message about family today. Y'all okay with that? And if you're not a, if you don't consider yourself a family person, then I'll just let you know families come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. So we got big families, we got small families, we got uh, husband and wife, we got husband and wife with kids, we got we got uh, grandparents raising grandkids, we got some grandkids raising grandparents, and uh, got all shapes and sizes. We have. Single person families, any singles in the house today? Raise your hand. Singles in the house. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you just missed out on an opportunity to get your name out there on the dating scene at the church. So there's no do-overs. I'm done. The smart singles had one hand up and one hand taking notes. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Hallelujah. So uh, some, of you, some of you got some calls to make out to church already. But whether you're a single family home or whether you're a larger home, uh, uh, if you're not, uh, if you, if nothing else, you're a part of this family. Amen. How many know we have our natural families and we have our spiritual families? We've got brothers and sisters, everybody in here, you're a brother and sister in the Lord. Some of you are mothers and fathers in the Lord. And so, man, I just, just appreciate family. God gave us family. He blessed us with family. Now, me and my wife, we, uh, we just had two, you know, we had, uh, we had a girl and, uh, and then we had a boy, and we saw how they both worked, and we said, that is good. We, we, that's good with us. We're done. You know, and so, but you know, when God, when God had his first two kids, he put a male, one male and one female in the garden, and that was good for him. So, you know, if it's good for God, it's good for me. I'm not trying to, I'm going to try to upstage God. But, uh, but you know, some people get, get a little, uh, have a little bigger families. You know, I, me and my, my experience, I found that once you get past two, you know, things get a little crazy. Once the kids start outnumbering the adults, you know, you know, things get a little questionable. Because I know I've got friends that have a lot of kids, you know. I, had, I, I remember a set of friends when they had their third one. I remember having to call them and saying, hey, uh, you left your third one here at the church. Come back and get her, you know. So, you know, but some people have big families. We got two. Then you got people like the Taylors, you know, and uh, they, they want to have their own basketball team. They got five, you know. The Smiths aren't too far behind them there with... Four, but then you got, but then you got the ones that are real serious. You got Pastor Jerry and Sister Lane, and you got the Nallans. They got a basketball team plus one sub, you know. So they got their big families, but I'm not interested in that. You know, with us, it was uh, I got this one, you got that one, and we knew we were good, you know. So there's no no chance on missing one out, you know, because I know if we'd have had more than two, uh, I would have been blaming the Coles like you left them. No, you left them. No, I, I got him. So it was nice just having two. I had my duties, and she had her duties, and when something. And when other duties happened, I took them to Nicole and she took care of those duties. Anyway, so I was, my job was to teach them how to ride bikes and uh, other, other agility skills. And, and then she took care of the dirty diapers and stuff. So that was, a, that was a blessing. But that was our house. And so whether you're a small family or a single uh, family or, or just part of this church family, this message is for you. Amen. So we're going to tell you, talk about some things that can, uh, you can apply to your individual life, your family life, and your church life. And so, man, I like good titles. I like good sermon titles. And so when I was thinking about this message, I, I went through a few different titles before I landed on one. And so, you know, the first thing I talked about, I let's name it this message, The Happy Family. And so, The Happy Family. And, you know, I was like, yeah, that's catchy. You got some smiling faces up there. And then I thought, you know, that's not always the case, though, is it? You know, <laughs> you may not identify with The Happy Family. So I scrapped that. I was like, how about, how about Home Sweet Home? You know, home sweet home. Let's just, you know, nice sweet message. And then I, I scrapped that and said, so, you know, it's not. then I thought, hey, I got one that rings. That's the perfect family. And I can preach a message on how to have the perfect family. And then I was like, you know what, though? That's not possible. That's not going to happen. The perfect family doesn't exist. 
If you feel like you have the perfect family, then uh, raise your hand. And if you're sitting next to them, wake them up because they're sleeping in church. There's no such thing as the perfect family. So I decided to go with a title that was a little more realistic, a little more realistic. I think we can all identify with. And that is Battlefield Family. Battlefield Family. How many of y'all know that sometimes families can be tough, right? The people you love the most are sometimes the hardest people to get along with. And so I thought this was fitting for all of us, you know, Battlefield family. How many of y'all can identify? How many of y'all can identify? Even the ride to church on a Sunday morning can look like a war zone. Anybody ever been there? Man, I, I, I've been there. I remember doing kids' church. I remember, I remember a kid, and we, did, we used to do Wednesday nights here in Camden. And uh, I remember, when I was doing kids' church, I remember we had prayer requests. I remember one kid raised his hand and said, Pastor Jason, could you pray that my daddy will stop cussing on the way to church? <laughs> I said, I said, we will, but in uh, in the future, you know, let's just do private prayer requests. Let's not tell everybody your business. Be sure and tell me, you know, and I'll I'll uh, I'll be sure and note it, you know. And I know y'all looking around that that person that family's not in here this morning, so don't don't be looking around thinking thinking oh that's where oh, oh wait they are here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brian, I didn't see you back there. Anyway, let's change. Let's move on. So, but man, a trip to church can be a war zone, right? I remember growing up as a kid. Uh, uh, I, I, I really wish I had been involved in the, in the design of the American car. Because if you're sitting in the back seat of the car, then there's just enough room between the front seat and the back seat to be within reach of a mean backhand. You know? Yeah, anybody ever else get the the fierce the fury of the backhand of your your dad? Man, I mean, usually usually on the way somewhere, I would be, you know, just pondering God's creation, looking out the window, praying, you know, just thinking about God, meditating. And my brother and sister, we had three growing up. See, three. I get over two, and it gets messy. But anyway, so they would start fighting, and then the backhand would come across, you know, and I would get a piece of it, and I'd just be like, oh, just. I'm sorry, I was praying. What's going on? You know? But then uh, I realized, and uh, your kids, we we should pass these pointers on to your kids in kids' church. Jerry, I'm sitting Jerry in message to all the kids. I finally learned that the best place to sit, the most strategic place to sit in the car, anytime we were doing a long trip or just a short trip, but we lived out in the middle of nowhere, so anywhere we went was a long trip. But I realized the best place to sit was in the back seat right behind my dad. Right behind my dad, because he would have to have some kind of double-jointed shoulder to backswing all the way back behind him. And I really wasn't worried about my mom's backswing, because she was a little bit of a softy, you know. So I would sit right behind my dad. We'd run out and get in the car. I don't know if my brother and sister ever figured this out. But man, getting right behind my dad, and I was guaranteed that I was not going to get slapped on the way to church. Now, and I used to be jealous. I used to be a little bit jealous of the kids who had minivans, you know, because, man, they had room. There was no backhanding going on in the minivan. You know, they had room. They were free. And so, man, I always wished that I'd get a minivan. Finally, one day, my parents bought a van. But, man, they bought one of those big conversion vans. You know, the big ones that had lots of room. In that van, my dad could just flip up the, the armrest and walk back in the back and take care of things. He'd be like, I'm putting it on cruise control. Kathy, take the wheel. I'm going to deal with this now. You know? And so, it was like, Lord, I can't get a break. You know? Y'all remember those big conversion vans? I know. Remember Donald Thelma? They had, like, the biggest, tallest van ever made. I think they said a Guinness's World Book, but I think they had a, I think they had an upper room, a prayer room in the top of that van. They had the bonus air conditioner. 
I think I saw him almost take out the drive-thru because the clearance was only nine feet. But uh, anyway, but those rides for home, man, thank you. Those rides to church, man, thank you. Man. Family can be a war zone, right? But uh, and so, but God wants our families. God wants our families and our households to be full of peace, full of rest, full of joy. Don't you agree? God wants that for our families. I know a lot of times we don't we we may not see all that in our family now, but God wants it that way. And with God, all things are possible. Amen. God wants your house to be full of peace. He wants your house to be a place of rest, a place of strength, a place of safety. Amen. So that you can nurture your family, so that you can so that you can grow in God, and so that you can launch your family into what God has for them. But a lot of times that's not the case. But the good news for you today is that it can be the case. Now, I know if we had technology, if we had an app that could read people's minds, I know the marriage relationship, if nothing else, would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Stephen, how many times do you wish that you had an app that you could read your wife's mind? Well, there's not an app like that, but I, I've been working on something. And uh, if y'all don't mind, I'll, can I try that out today? Can we? Are y'all okay with that? If you're okay with that, say amen. Now, for the recording, say amen, hallelujah. All right, praise the Lord, man. Tell Pastor, it's going on in here today. So let me just try this out. I'll try with my wife first just to make sure it's working. So we got this synced with the computer up there. So we're going to read her thoughts to see what she's thinking. And so we're going to just try this out. Let's, let's see. It's working. Uh, well, it's not quite working. Um, I, what do you think? What? Uh, Oh, there it goes. Okay. Oh, it's working. Yes. Okay. She's always thinking about her sweet hubby. So, uh, let me see. Anybody else want to try it out? Yes, I see that hand. Dwayne wants to try this out. So, we'll just see what Dwayne's thinking. You ready? All right. Try to think your most smartest thoughts. Your mostest smartest the bestest just fuzz. Wait, I'm getting an error. It says no signal detectable. Let me let me see. Just to make sure that wasn't uh, a fluke. Let me see. Miss Thelma, thank you. Oh, she got your hand up. So we're going to see. Let's see what Miss Thelma's thoughts are thinking. Hey, hey, I'm going to see you now. Let's go to the club. tried to turn it off. I was hitting cancel, 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 but the signal was too strong. Maybe that was a bad idea. Brother Jerry's going to get all kind of letters now. He's on vacation, but I bet his phone is blowing up already. <laughs> There's a backstory to that, but I don't have time to tell you. So, 
All right, so much for that app. So much for making life easy, guys. So, uh, okay, where to go from here? All right. But God wants... Now, you told me before service I could pick on you. You said yes. You have my permission. (laughs) Today, instead of talking about family, I'm going to talk about forgiveness. And just want to remind you all that if you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. So, anyway. So, God wants our families, our households to be full of rest. To be, y'all collect yourselves, for God's sakes. Come on. To be full of peace. To be full of joy. And if that's not what you experience at your household, I just want you to know, God has another plan. God can make that possible. God wants your house to be full of Him. Full of joy. And full of life. Amen. But there's some things we have to get, we have to, some things we have to get going in our lives and in our families before that will happen. And so my first thing I want to talk to you about this morning is that we have to learn how to fight. We have to learn how to fight. Amen? Everybody say, we have to learn how to fight. That seems like it's against peace, but I'm talking about we have to learn how to fight for each other, and we have to learn how to fight with each other. Now, Brother Donald said, amen. I'm not talking about fighting with your brother. He's like, amen, I fight with my wife all the time, so she won't go to the club. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fighting alongside, fighting with, alongside each other fighting for each other, and fighting alongside each other. Amen? We've got to, we've got to get that working in our families. Ecclesiastes 4, uh, verse 9 through 12, says that two, or, and this is the NLT, it says two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. God calls us. God places us together. You know the Bible says what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. There's a reason God calls us together. There's a reason God has joined you with your family, with your wife, with your church family. God joins us together because there's strength in being together. There's strength in being joined together because God God desires us to move through this life not alone, not by ourselves, but He has placed people in your life to move through this life with you. And the way I picture it is like an army unit. You know, like an army unit. You know, when they move and when they go and they take land, they move as a unit. Because when one, when one is going forward, the other ones can be watching their back, watching their side, watching them on the side. God's put us together because there is strength in being together. Amen? But how many times are we in families and we're all doing our own things and we're not together and we're not in unison, we're not in one? God's telling us, God wants us to know today that we need to learn how to fight together, fight with each other and fight for each other. My wife has always been the one in our family over the years to encourage us. And she's always like, Jason, we need to pray together more. We need to pray together more. And I was like, yes, baby, yes, I know we need to. And I, But I'm up early in the morning. I get up at 4.30 every morning, and, and she's not even thinking about getting up at 4.30. You know, I'm usually gone, and she'll call me later. You didn't even tell me bye. I said, yes, I did, baby, and you even told me bye back. You know, she talks in her sleep, tells me about it. Anyway, our schedules don't always exist, but we've tried to make it a point over the years to pray together. To have time, and if we don't have time praying together, and sometimes it's hard to get your schedules together, but, man, we had a great revelation a while back. 
And actually, it was her idea. So we just started we just started sharing our prayer list together. Because if you can't make that time together, you know, when you're agreeing together over the same things for your family, it makes a difference. Amen? It makes a difference. So, man, we started sharing our prayer list together, you know? And she's got this big old long detailed prayer list. She prays, look, she prays over everybody and their brother, you know, for everything. She's got this old detailed prayer list, but... The point is that we, you've got to get in unity over what you're praying over your family and over your children. Amen? See, God's given you, as, hus- as husband and wife and as father and mother, God has given you an anointing to pray effective prayers over your family. Did you know that Pastor Lane shared one time, and she talked about what she called the anointing of a king. The anointing of the king. And that is that any time God has placed you in a position of authority, It placed you in a family. If you're a father and a mother, God has placed you in a position of authority over your children. And if you're a leader in this house, God has given you a position of authority over this house. And when you hold a position of authority, you have a special anointing to break strongholds over those that God's put you over. If you're a father and a mother or a husband and a wife in this house, you have an anointing and you have an authority to break things off of your kids, to break things off of your household, to declare things over your family that nobody else has the authority to do. It's an authority and it's an anointing to bring breakthrough into your family. Amen? So that's gotta be a part, that's gotta be a part of your daily routine. You need to be declaring people. I need to be declaring things over my family, over my kids, fighting. The enemy against our family. Amen? We've got to learn how to pray for each other. We've got to learn how to pray with each other. Pray together. In Nehemiah chapter 4, it's verse 14. We'll go there in just a second. But in Nehemiah, man, this is just a great example of people coming together, of praying for your people, coming together to pray and to fight for what's important, and also coming together as a team, as a community, coming together. But in Nehemiah... Just to give you some, some background on this, so Nehemiah was, you know, God had put on his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem, and in those days, the walls of a city, that was its first line of defense. That was its first line. If the walls were down, the enemy could just come right in. And, you know, and that's true in our life today. You know, our prayer time, our prayer life, the things that we're praying and declaring, the things that we're taking authority over, man, we're building walls around our family. We're building a wall of protection around our family. But Nehemiah, he was called to rebuild this wall. And so where we're going to pick up here in verse 14, you know, it's in rubble. They had rubble everywhere. There was so much. The workers, the people that were trying to do the job, man, they were overwhelmed. And they had just gotten threats from people that didn't want them to build the wall back. They had just gotten threats that they were going to not destroy everything they built. And they were going to kill everybody that was trying to build the wall. How many of y'all know we have have an, uh, an enemy that's out to kill you. It's out to destroy you. It's out to tear down everything God wants to build in your life. But that was the case here. And here's what Nehemiah said in verse 14. He said, Then I looked over the situation, and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. I called them all together, and I said, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of them and remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. How many of you know God's calling us today as families to fight 
to fight for what's important, to fight for what God's wanting to do in our households. How many of you know that God has good plans for you? God has, God has a call and a destiny on you as a family. He has a call and a destiny on every member of your family, your children. And He has a call on your life, and the enemy is trying to come in. He wants to thwart that plan and destroy everything God wants to build in your life. But God's calling us today as a family to rise up and to fight for our families, to fight for our children, to fight for our husbands and wives. Amen? And I didn't, I'm not going to read all this, but so he called them together to fight. And if you go on and read the rest of that few chapters there, you'll find, I love this about this story. Because it says, it goes in there and says, all the different parts of the wall. Man, it was in rubble. It was in ruins. All the different parts of the wall. But it says that the people, everybody say the people, the families. It says that such and such, and I don't, I don't say the names, but anyways, a whole list of them. Man, it's a whole chapter or two about it. It's like such and such rebuilt the wall next to his house. And then the next one down was this family, and they rebuilt the wall next to this house. And the next one down was this family, and they rebuilt the wall next to the Dungate. I don't want to be that job. Anyway, the next one down. But man, they all just rebuilt their portion of the wall. And it says that as they built, it says they had their tools in one hand. And a sword in the other hand. They were going about life. They were going after and building what God had called them to build. They were doing what God called them to do. And they were ready to fight for each other and with each other. Amen? We got to build like those people that built that wall. We got to learn how to fight. We got to learn how to fight for each other. We got to learn how to fight with each other, alongside each other. So many times we get to bickering and fighting amongst ourselves. And all that does is give the enemy an open door to come in. We got to put those things aside and focus on what God's doing in our life. I'll tell you what, God's called us to build some things. How many of you believe that God's called you as a family, as a household, to do some things? So we got to learn how to fight so that as we build the kingdom of God, build the destiny that God's put in our life, we've got we to be able to build that and fight together and watch each other. Amen? Just fight for each other. Everybody say, fight for each other. Fight with each other. Alongside each other. I probably should change that. Alongside each other. Because I know somebody's going to go home and say, well, Pastor said to fight with each other. Let's take care of this right now. That sounded a lot like Thelma, but I wasn't trying to single you out again. But if we're going to survive on this battlefield, we've got to learn how to do that. We've got to learn how to fight. Say, learn how to fight. The next thing that, uh, that, that I want to talk to you about is we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4, verse 23. This is in the NIV. It says, above all else. Everybody say, above all else. Do y'all think that's important? Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Another version says, it determines the course of your life. The King James Version says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. And then the HNV, and I don't even know what that stands for, but like what it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the wellspring of life. The wellspring of life. That's the heart. God says, Guard against the heart, because everything else flows out from it. The way you live, the way you react, what you believe, how you handle trials and situations, how you handle tragedy, how you handle everything. Everything you do flows out of your heart. So he said, above all else, guard your heart. 
And let me tell you, when the enemy comes in to attack, he may frustrate you. He may try to frustrate you, but that's not his end that he's looking for. He frustrates you, but that's not his goal. He comes in to steal from you, but that's not his goal. He likes to steal, but that's not his end game. He will bring strife into your household, but that's not all he's trying to do. He's not just trying to make some arguments. When the enemy comes in to attack, he's going after the heart. He's going after your heart because he knows if he can get your heart, then he can disrupt everything about your life. Because the word says the Bible, the heart is the wellspring of life. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We have to guard against the heart attack. We have to guard against the heart attack. Now you can't talk about heart attack without thinking of one person, one certain person. You can't talk about heart attack without thinking about Red Fox. Sanford and Son. He was always looking for the heart attack. Give me my money. No. I said no. No, I want my money. I said no. I said no. Now get out of here. Uh oh. Nah, you went and did it. I might need that money tonight. I've never had pains like this before. Oh, this is the worst one I ever had, son. Well, this is a big one. I'm dying. You hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. Oh, Oh, Fred Sanford, he was always looking for the heart attack, wasn't he? He was always ready for the heart attack. And so, in an odd sort of way, we need to be more like Fred Sanford. We need to be more like Fred Sanford and, and always be looking for the heart attack. You know, always be looking for the heart attack. Always be aware of the, of the heart attack and what the enemy's trying to do in your life. That the enemy's trying to destroy your heart. The enemy's trying to go after the most important thing, the thing that you're supposed to guard above all else. The enemy wants to attack your heart. He wants to attack the heart of your family. He wants to attack the heart of your church. He wants to attack your heart. But we've got to be aware. We've got to be looking for the heart attack. I know it's weird. I never thought I would be using Fred Sanford for a point in my message about the heart attack. But we got to be looking. We have to be aware. So many times we are, we seem to be uh, just ignorant of the devil's devices. So many times we just treat things like they're just little superficial things. But every time the enemy comes against you, he's going after your heart. That's why we don't need to treat anything lightly that the enemy is doing in our life. We need to attack him. If we see him attacking in any way, we just need to stand up in authority and get rid of that rascal. Amen? Because he's going after your heart. He may attack you in a lot of different ways. He may attack your finances. He may attack your, your family, your, your beliefs, your desire. He may attack everything, little, all these little things about you. But the one thing he's always after, he's after your heart. He really doesn't care if you're rich. He don't care if you're poor. He don't care if you're single or married. He doesn't care if you're happy or sad. He doesn't care if your house is full of peace or full of turmoil. If he can get your heart, that's what he's after. I know plenty of people that have all the money they could want, but they don't have peace and they don't have joy. Their heart has been attacked. You can have all those things on that are just outward things. We have to guard our heart. Everybody say, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Amen? Because out of your heart, out of your heart, everything flows. All the issues of life, your beliefs, your desires, their decisions that you make, your moral standard, how you think and react, everything flows out of your heart. And so we have to keep our heart pure. 
It is the wellspring of life. I remember when I was a kid. Man, I remember when I was a kid. We used to, I, we, I lived down the road. Me and Mike Phil lived down the road from me. And, man, we would go out and we would do the stupidest things. But we'd play outside all day long. We hardly went inside. You know, during the summertime when we were in school, we never hardly even went inside. Partly because my mom would kick us out of the house and lock the door and say, you're not coming back in here. You know, for no reason. I guess she didn't like us praying all the time. Anyway. But, uh. But anyway, man, we would go out, we'd play, we'd be hot. But there was this, right down from Mike's house, where he lives now, there was this spring. It was a shallow well, a shallow spring. It was probably only like three feet deep. Man, it had a little concrete thing around it, pea gravel on the bottom. But that water, man, that water, and it was ice cold. That water was always ice cold. But it was the purest, cleanest. Man, it was the best water that you could ever... Man, we'd get hot and we'd just, we'd just run, race down the spring and just stick our heads in. You know, just suck up. You could see, see the bottom of the spring. Every once in a while you see crawfish down there. It was crystal clear water. They were clean crawfish. It was okay. It didn't taste like Cajun water. It was just... Man, it was the best water. It was the cleanest water. Man, it was so refreshing. And so, but, but it was so good because it was a good source. Man, the source was good. The source was, was perfect, man. It was that, and that spring is still there today. But man, it was a good well because it was a good source. And so, man, that's, in thinking about that, the wellspring, the heart is the wellspring of life. That's why God says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because if the source is good, everything that flows from it is good. Amen? But you know what happens if the source gets contaminated? If the source gets messed up, then it messes up everything that flows from it. It messes it all up. Above all else, guard your heart. Amen? Amen. Y'all enjoying this? Is it good? Y'all getting something out of it? All right. So guard your heart. Guard against the heart attack. The next thing I want to talk about, the next point, is we need to learn to do life together. Everybody say, do life together. I just have to make sure y'all awake every now and then. Do life together. You know, as, so as you think about this, as you think about your families, as you think about even a church family, it's important that we do life together. There's a story in the Bible in Acts chapter 16. It's, we won't read the whole story, but in, uh, but in Acts chapter 16, it's a story about uh, Paul and Silas. You remember when they were in the jail cell? They were in there, man, they were shackled up. And God shook the place. God shook the place. Man, the prison doors opened up. The shackles fell off. God shook the place. Man, it was a miracle. And then the jailer, once he realized what happened, he thought all the prisoners were gone. He was going to kill himself. Because he just knew he, you know, he would be punished for it. And Paul and Silas stopped him. And they said, no, don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. So he didn't. You remember the, in that story, the jailer, what he asked was, he said, he said, tell me. What must I do to be saved? Man, after that happened, he wanted to know, what must I do to know the Savior that you know? To know the God that can shake a jail cell and set you free. What do I have to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas, man, they were ready to tell him. But the interesting thing is here, the jailer, he didn't want it just for himself. And if you read that, if you read that chapter, that 16, he took them to his house. Amen? He took them to his house. And it says in Acts 16.32, it says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others that were in the house. Here's the thing. Doing life together, we have to learn to seek God and find God together. The jailer didn't want to just 
have salvation for himself. He wanted his whole family to know this living God that that they were talking about. To know this living God that had shown up on the scene. He wanted his whole family to know. And if you go on and read that story, you'll find out that his whole family was saved. We need to live, uh, seek God and find God together. Amen? We need to seek God and find God as a family. It's important that we talk about God, that we share the gospel, that we pray as a family, that we teach God's word as a family. Amen? Even Deuteronomy 6, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, it says this. It says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you are, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We're supposed to talk about this. We're supposed to teach this. If you truly know that Jesus is your Savior and He's the one that brings life into your, into your spirit and He's the one that causes you to live, then we need to talk about this. We need to teach this. We need to make sure our family knows that there's one King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? We need to diligently teach our children. Amen? And we need, so we need to seek God. We need to find God together. Next, we need to serve God together. Serve God together. That same story, the jailer's house. The Bible says in that same chapter, you can read it later, but it says his whole family, man, they tended to their wounds. They fixed them a meal. They served God together. They served God's purpose together. Man, we need to serve together as a family. There's nothing greater that you can do than to get your kids involved, to get your family involved in serving in the house of God. To serving the Lord and doing things for God. Giving yourself for, for the Lord. In Isaiah, there's a scripture talking about fasting. Oh, I was supposed to mention this too. Today, this is the last week of our 21-day fast, by the way. How many of y'all enjoying the fast? Praying and fasting over our families. Amen? But uh, and there's, a, there's a scripture in Isaiah, and I didn't have it in my notes, but it says... You know, it's talking about the right way to fast. And it talks about if you spend your life on behalf of others, what God will do for you. It says that if you spend your life on, basically, if you spend your life on behalf of others, if you spend your life, pour yourself out doing what God wants you to do, meeting the needs of others, spending on behalf of others, it says that God will make you like a well-watered garden, even in the midst of a desert. That God will take care of you, that God will bless you, that God will fill you. Amen? If we can teach our kids to serve if we can teach our families and be an example for our families to serve and serve together, man, God can open up doors for them that, that you wouldn't imagine. Man, our kids were always drafted. Our kids were always drafted. It didn't matter if we had any other workers show up in kids' church or wherever we were working. Our kids were going to be there helping, so we automatically had two helpers. But man, I'm telling you, I believe, believe that by doing that, though, we showed them the importance of serving in the house of God. Giving up yourself. Giving up your time. We need to do that together, guys. We need to do that together. Find an opportunity for you to serve with your family and serve together. And the last thing on this is we need to worship together. We need to learn how to worship together. Uh, there's a story in the Bible, Elkanah. It's in 1 Samuel 1.21. Elkanah was Hannah's husband. You remember Hannah? She was barren. She couldn't have children. You know? And she so badly wanted to have a child. Yeah, that was a big deal. In those days, was, man, if you didn't have kids, that was, that was a big deal. That was, man, that was the honor of the women to have children. But she couldn't have a child. She was childless. But it says in 1 Samuel one twenty one. every year Elkanah would take his household. It says, then the man Elkanah 
went up with all his household. I'm going to say with all his household. To offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So every year, they would make this journey. And it was a long journey. They would journey to the temple. It was the, it was the annual sacrifice. And I believe they, they did stuff during the year too. But I thought it was interesting. Every year, he took his whole family. Everybody said they worshiped together. Elkanah made it sure that his whole family went to this place of worship. And I thought that was interesting that it was at this place where Hannah cried out to God. Hannah cried out to God and God heard her cry. How many of y'all know the story? She cried out to God, God, I'm without child. I want a child, God. And she, he saw her heart. She was crying out to God so desperately. The priest, man, there, uh, he, he saw her, he heard her. He thought she was drunk. But she was just crying out in desperation. But it was there that God heard her cry. It was there at that place of worship that Elkanah said, I'm going to take my household. And he said he took his whole household there every year. It was that place where God heard her cry. And it was that place where God answered her prayer. And it was that place where God birthed something in her. He birthed a child. But anyway, but he birthed more than that. And you know the story. Samuel went on to be the voice, the priest, the mouthpiece of God for that nation. But it was because Elkanah... I believe it's because Elkanah made a determination in my household, we're going to go and we're going to worship the Lord. So, man, as we learn to worship together, if we commit, if we make it a priority, if we commit to make sure our household, our families are at a place where they can worship God, are at a place where they can be heard by God, that God will hear their cry, I believe that God will begin to do miracles in your life and in your family. Do you want your family to be in a place where they can cry out to God, to be in a place where they can experience the presence of God? We've got to learn how to worship together. Amen. And I commend all of you. Man, most of you guys, you bring your family to church. You bring your family to place. If you can get them here, then I can guarantee you. Church is the one place that I can guarantee you God's presence will always be here. Because it says, if two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. Every time we come in here, there may be people that are here that don't really care about being here. They're not really here in His name. But if we can just get one or two, He is in our midst. Amen. And if you will make a commitment to get your family to a place where they can hear God, where they can be touched by God, God will birth something in your family. Do you want God to birth a miracle in your family? Amen. Hallelujah. We've got to learn to do life together. Amen. Everybody say, do life together. I knew I had a page out of place. (laughs) Can I rewind just a second? Talk about guarding your heart. I didn't finish the rest of that the rest of that uh, part about guarding, but it says diligently guard. Go back to Proverbs 4.23. It says guard vigilantly. I don't know how that page got out of place. But anyway, it says guard vigilantly. Proverbs 4.23. The guard there, it says, it means vigilantly, it means obsessively looking and watching. Obsessively. Everybody say obsessively looking and watching. God's trying to get across here just how important it is to guard your heart. To guard the heart of your family. To guard the heart of those that God's put in your care. To guard diligently. How many of you have something that you guard diligently? How many of you have something that you guard obsessively? Maybe some of you have a car that you guard obsessively. Keep it all shine and wax. You know, your kids get close to it. Don't touch my car! You got an alarm that goes off and warns you. The only example I have of that is, is the way Nicole used to guard Sarah. When she slept in the bed with us, she would uh, she would cry. We, you know, at first she wouldn't sleep through the night. Sarah would not sleep for anything through the night. She was three years old before she slept through the night by herself. 
she was a night owl, man. I think she just wanted to be up doing something. But so Nicole would put her in the bed with us at night. And, you know, they say don't do that. They say don't put your baby in the bed with you. But Nicole would put her in the bed with us. But Nicole turned into, uh, uh, seriously, a ninja at night when Sarah was in the bed with us. Because we were sleeping and I had a place. My place was on this side of the bed against a wall. And then we had Sarah in the middle and then we had Nicole. And during the night, if I would move anything, if I would even breathe different, would move my arm or shift, you wouldn't think this because Nicole's kind of, she's a small, petite lady, but she's got an NFL-grade stiff arm that would put me up against the wall. And if I moved a muscle, if I moved a muscle, I was getting stiffed arm in the back up against the wall, and this voice would come out of her that I don't know where it came from. It's like, don't touch that baby. You know? She would guard her, you know, she would guard her. And so I just learned to sleep. I just learned to sleep without moving a muscle. I would lay down in bed at night and I would wake up the next morning in the exact same position I went to sleep in because she had trained me. There are imprints of my body in that wall at that house. I learned to sleep without moving, but she, she would guard her obsessively and vigilantly at night. And that's the way we've got to guard our hearts. Amen? That's the way we've got to guard our family. And that's the way we have to do everything that God's called us to. In fact, we need to be vigilant. We need to fight vigilant. We need to fight, you know, like everything depends on it. Amen? How many of you believe God wants to do some good things in your family? We need to worship God together. We need to do life together. And we need to be diligent about that. Diligently teach our kids. Diligently pray. Diligently let let our family know that God is the king and God is the only one that can save us. And God is the rock and the foundation of our house. How many of you want to say this morning that as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord? Amen? Amen. All right, the next point I want to talk about here is that, and this one, this one was one that I didn't, it wasn't really part of this message. Man, I had the message all worked out this week ready to go, and then God just started putting this on my heart, and I was like, God, you're not going to make me redo this whole message, are you? And then uh, I feel like he said, no, I'll just cram it in there. We'll mix it in there. But it's a good point, man. It's, I was praying this week, and I mean, this really just became my prayer for me this week and my prayer for my family this week. And, uh, and I just feel like it was a word that God wanted to speak to us all. And that is, the last thing I want to talk about is that we must awaken our family. Everybody say, awaken our family. Awaken our family. Uh, in Romans 13, verse 11 through 12. Let's go there real quick. It says, and uh, this is the New King James Version. It says, and do this, knowing that the time that is now, it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. There, at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put the armor, put on the armor of light. The Passion Translation, I'm going to read it in that real quick too. I like the way it says it. In the Passion Translation, it says, To live like this is all the more urgent. Everybody say urgent. For time is running out. And you know it is a strategic hour in our human history. It is time for us to wake up. Everybody say wake up. For our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. So we must once and for all strip away all that is done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes. And once and for all, we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light 
as our weapon. Everybody say, it's time to wake up. It's time to awaken. And certainly there are people in the Bible, there are people in the Bible that slept. And sometimes the enemy can lull us to sleep. How many of y'all know? How many of y'all have ever been there? The enemy just seems to lull you to sleep. There were people in the Bible, good people in the Bible, that found themselves sleeping. In Genesis 28, you can read about Jacob. It says, uh, Jacob, uh, this is right after he had the dream. He woke up, and in Genesis 28, 16, he said, he said, he woke, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even realize it. He was asleep. Samson lost his strength while he was sleeping. Jonah slept through a storm that nearly sank the ship. And it was his fault that the storm was sinking. The ship was sinking. Peter, James, and John in Matthew chapter 26, they slept in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus needed them most. So there, is, there, are, there are times when we sleep, when we fall asleep, and when we let the enemy lull us to sleep. But when the God spoke this to my heart this week, it really wasn't, it wasn't really a, a scolding or a shaking like, you need to wake up. Although sometimes we do need to wake up. Amen? Nudge your neighbor and say, you need to wake up. Y'all didn't say it with passion. Yet, you got to do that over. Now them say, you need to wake up. All right. Some of y'all got mean there for a second. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a, that kind of a wake up. Man, when I was praying this week, man, God was just putting his word in my heart that says, I want to just, I mean, I just, my prayer just became, God, awaken my heart. Awaken my heart. And it's not a scolding or a reprimand or anything like that. If I'm trying to explain this right, it's kind of hard. I don't really know how to get it out. But it wasn't like a, like a you've been sleeping, wake up, you're bad. It was more like a, a waking up, a wake up, an invitation, a wake up, awaken to something new. Awaken to something deeper. Awaken to something stronger. Awaken to something more powerful than what you've known before. Awaken to more of me. Man, He wants to awaken our hearts in the very life, the very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Y'all get this? The very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, and we don't tap into it like we need to. I don't think we're really aware of just what is on the inside of us. But God's saying today, He wants to awaken your family. He wants to awaken your heart. He wants to awaken... He wants to awaken. Say, awaken! Amen? And then right after he started putting this in my heart, he said, he spoke to, he spoke to me, he said, Joseph had to wake up his family. Joseph, Jesus' dad, had to wake up his family. And in Matthew 2, verse 13 through 15, this was right after the wise men had left. You know, the wise men had came, they had visited, it says the wise men had just left, it said after they had gone, Joseph had another dream. So it tells me he was asleep. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Get up now and flee to Egypt. Take Mary and the little child and stay there until, you, until I tell you to leave. For Herod intends to search for the child and kill him. Y'all remember the story? Herod was about to kill all the boys under a certain age in the, in the era. And it says, So that very night, verse 14 says, That very night, he got up and took Jesus and his mother, and they made their escape to Egypt and remained there until Herod died. And all this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through his prophet. I summoned my son out of Egypt. Another version, I don't have it here. Another version says, while it was still dark, they went on their way. He had to wake his family up. 
He had to wake up himself, and then he had to wake up his family, and they had to go somewhere. God didn't wake them up because they were doing something bad. They didn't wake them up because they were doing something wrong. He woke them up because he had somewhere to take them. He had somewhere for them to go. And for them, it was life or death. For you, it may not be life or death. Maybe it's just that he wants to take you and move you into your destiny and the calling he has for your life. But it may be life or death. God's saying, wake up. Wake up because I've got somewhere to take you. Wake up because I've got something for you to do. Somewhere for you to go. Somebody for you to touch. God's wanting to raise up some mighty ministers right here in this church. God's wanting to raise up some of your families. Some of your families have a calling that's going to change this world. Some of your families have a destiny that you you would blow you away if you knew what it was. But God's saying this morning, He wants to begin to wake us up. He wants our hearts to begin to awaken and feel the, the, feel the Spirit of God, the life of God that He wants to pour into us. How many of y'all know He wants to put such a life in us that it impacts everybody around us? Amen? How many of you want to be full, so full that you're running over? How many of you want to have the life of God coursing through your veins to the point that everybody around you gets a little bit of your touch and gets a little bit of you know, of what God has for them. And really, so man, when I think about this and just trying to explain how it's in my heart, talking about awaking your heart, feel your heart, I think about baptism. You know, baptism is more than just dunking underwater and bringing back up. You know, baptism, if you study out baptism, the whole concept of baptism is to submerge something into something until what? Until you begin to be like what you're submerged in. Baptism is to be submerged in Him to the point we begin to be like Him and to look like Him, to act like Him, to think like Him, to talk like Him, to do what Jesus said, to do even greater miracles than what He did. God wants to awaken our hearts to a level of Him that we have not known. He wants to awaken our hearts, and I'll just say it like this, He wants to awaken this church to a point that this city has never known. He wants to be a difference maker in your life. There's something about our life ought to be different than the world. He wants to be so real in you that He makes a difference in your life. That you don't live a normal, everyday, everyday life. That you live a supernatural life. God awaken our hearts this morning to the supernatural work that He wants to do inside of us. Amen? Does anybody want that? Does anybody want to be awakened? Because the Lord is calling this morning for an awakening of men, of husbands, of fathers, of women, of wives and mothers, of youth and young adults, of children, of whole families. He's calling this morning to an awakening for this church. And then he's going to use this church to awaken this city. Amen? And why stop there? Why stop there? God can use this church to awaken this state. God can use this house to be a light to this nation. Amen? Everybody say, awaken me. Amen? It's time to awaken our families. It's time to awaken. Does that ring, does that ring in your spirit? Does that ring in your spirit? Do you desire the do you desire an awakening inside you? Are you willing 
to start being a little more radical for Him? Are you willing to linger in His presence in the mornings? Are you willing to set the alarm to get up a little earlier and have a little more time? Do you want Him to awaken you? Because there's no way He can awaken you and not impact everybody around you. I'm telling you this morning, God wants to submerge us in Him. He wants to submerge our families in Him. He wants to submerge your children in Him. He wants to submerge your co-workers. How many of y'all, can you see it? Can you see God changing your life? Can you see God changing your family? He wants us to begin to see Him and what He can do. Amen? I listened to a message the other day called, called see, uh, you got to see it to believe it. If you can't see it happening, it won't happen. Amen? Because faith, what is faith? The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We need to see our families awakened in Him. Everybody say awaken. Awaken our families. Amen. Well, it's time to close. And my notes are over, so I'm going to close anyway. <laughs> Amen. How many of y'all, how many of y'all want the battlefield family to be a victory? Amen. You can't have a victory without having a battle. We're always going to have battles. It's how we walk through that thing. It's how we walk out of that thing that makes the difference. Amen? Well, God wants to make a difference in your life this morning. He wants to make a difference in your family's life this morning. He wants to teach us how to fight. Amen? He wants us to be attentive and alert and guarding our hearts. Guarding against the heart attack. He's calling us to do life together. And the last thing I feel like really, man, that God wanted to focus on this morning. He, he is calling for an awakening of our families. Man, if that, if that rings in your spirit tonight and you want to say, God, God, I want to be open to you. God, I want you to awaken me like never before. God, I want you to awaken my family. If that's you, then stand to your feet right here. Right where you're at. Just stand to your feet. We're going to pray. And as Stephen plays, we're going to close us out in worship. If you need prayer for anything, come to this front. If you want to come up and just lay on this altar and pray for an awakening, then come on up. Our prayer leaders are going to join you up front to pray with you. But let's declare this morning. Let's just declare this morning that we are no longer going to sleep. We're no longer going to stay where we are. We're not going to stay in our comfort zone, but we are going to invite an awakening of the Holy Spirit in this place. And when you ask God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you know what He does? He pours out His Holy Spirit. So let's just cry to God. Father God, we just come to You this morning. God, I thank You, God, for Your Word. God, I thank You, God, for the, for the life, God, and for the, uh, for the life and the joy and the peace that You want to bring into our families. God, I thank You that there's not a person here this morning, God, that You don't desire the very best for. God, we want more of You this morning. God, and I cry a heart to You this morning. God, is awaken us. God, awaken us this morning. Just cry out in your own way right there. God, awaken me this morning. God, awaken my heart, God. Awaken me, God. Pour out your Spirit across this place right now, God. I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit right now. God, give us a fresh drink of your living water in this place today, God. Lord, I pray for an awakening. I pray for a refreshing, God. Lord, I pray for an equipping, God, and a birthing of something new in this house today. In our families, God. In our hearts. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you. Praise you, Lord God, for the work you're doing. God, awaken us in this house today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Kenny, you want to dismiss us?
altars are open. If you need prayer, come down front.